There was a time where the absence of a laugh became the issue. Not a chuckle, not a ha, just silence. Where is it? And why did it suddenly come back? Join us as we explore the elusiveness of the Joker himself in the Denverse. I dig it. Welcome to the Denverse. I'm Derek. And it's Quinn. And we're here for another week of ups and downs. A little more up than down. It's It's been rocky in the mountains, um, but some interesting views along the way for sure. We're recording this on Wednesday evening, and a cold front just blew through around lunchtime. It's supposed to leave quickly, but it, it's added a weird vibe to an already weird week with the time change. Yeah, it feels super cozy for a Wednesday late afternoon. So we're going to try something new this week, and we're going to try to give you an entire recap of the week in the Denverse in seven minutes in honor of the Duke himself. Hey. <laughs> when did he get that name, just by the way? I think it was early on, but just the alliteration, the Duke of Denver. Mm. He was just like such a much bigger deal in early Denver than I think we can imagine now. Oh, well, totally. In, like, new gentrified Denver, I always joke, like, I don't know when all of a sudden we got cool. Our only culture used to be John Elway. But I just, that Broncos team never felt royal to me, like, stately. Like, Peyton Manning, the sheriff, that makes more sense. Um, but, yeah, shout out to John Elway and our seven-minute recap. <laughs> So we start Wednesday night when we last recorded. The Washington Nationals beat the Houston Astros to win their first World Series. Gerardo Parra won a World Series. He didn't do that much in the World Series, except he added Baby Shark as his walk-up, which became an anthem for this Nationals team. Well, shout out. He's just like the funny guy um, in the dugout, which I think you definitely need. And that was like a fun Washington team, especially with all the controversy that Houston went through. So happy that... The good guys won. I've never disliked a team as much as I did Houston just for like one thing that they did. And the one thing that they did being that they were celebrating the player that had uh, committed domestic violence before they traded for him. Yeah, that was a weird one. That was a real weird one. Um, but way to like take all the goodwill of <laughs> like a couple years and then just throw it all the way for a weird GM and a domestic abusing pitcher. The other weird thing about this was the D.C. Nationals players went as crazy as the Capitals players did when they won the Stanley Cup. There were crazy parties in the locker room. Ovechkin jumped on some other player who had his shirt off in the locker room. <laughs> Clearly, if D.C. players behaved like politicians and politicians behaved like D.C. players, um, we would have no politicians left, even in the as bad as politics are today. And also, very pointless... Um thing that I just realized. Three out of the four DC teams have the same colors. And they're, well, actually the Wizards kind of suck. But I think the Redskins should change their name and wear red, white, and blue colors. And maybe they'll have better fortunes like the Capitals and Nationals. I like Washington red, white, and blue. If we had to say that every time, that would be, that'd be something. The red, white, and blue. <laughs> Old glories. Uh, Halloween was scary for the Nuggets. Lost to the Pelicans, 122-107. to Malone blew up. Really, the team just looked awful. Yeah. 
I think as a young team who knows that they're good, they had a, okay, you can still get punched in the mouth type game. But it was just like so lethargic, especially with Zion out. Um, this was a nationally televised game that normally wouldn't be. And the Nuggets, yeah, really stunk it up for... Um, well, actually, I don't know anyone on Halloween night who was watching basketball anyway, so maybe they got to fail in relative anonymity. But, yeah, that was that was a two-game skid that they had um, with the Dallas game that we went to go watch, which I thought they could lose. Definitely didn't even think about them getting whooped by the Pelicans, but sure did. On Friday, Joe Flacco headed to the IR, likely ending his Denver Broncos career. So thanks for your service, Joe Flacco. We hardly knew thee. Uh, Taylor Hall, the New Jersey Devil, uh, was in an interview where he said he was tired of being booed by his own fans, which opened the door up for the Avalanche to maybe trade for him. He won the MVP over McKinnon two years ago. And that would be great because the Avs went on to lose that night to the Stars at home and then the next night to the Coyotes 3 nothing. It gets worse for the Avs. We'll get to that. <laughs> On Saturday, the Nuggets beat the Magic 91-87. to Murray and Jokic finally came to life. Yeah, they both looked good at the same time. Jokic hit a crazy last second in the shot clock shot over the other Nikola on the floor, um, which is good to see our boys get some highlight plays. The Buffs lost to UCLA 31-14. They were down early and often. Um, it might be the end of the Montez era. He's yeah. got three more games. They're still probably going to play him, but maybe they shouldn't. Yeah, that was a, a fun start to the season that has thus far petered out. Um, we do have good Buffs news coming up, though. Um, they would need to win their last three games to make a bowl game, starting this week against Stanford and then against Washington and Utah. <sighs> On Sunday, the Broncos, led by Brandon Allen, beat <laughs> the Browns 24-19. to Allen was a classic game-managing quarterback. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, shout-out to Brandon Allen, because I don't think either of us could have named him last week at this time. We could not. <laughs> um, so, just random kind of bizarre world, Paxton Lynch played a solid game, although it was pointed out that he never threw to the left side of the field, which now that there's a bit of footage on him not throwing to the left side of the field, the Vikings defense um, after the bye week probably should exploit that somewhat. But somehow the Cleveland defense never realized that. No, dude, and uh, sorry, uh, we're going over seven minutes now. Uh, Noah Fant, the tight end, that the rookie tight end, first rounder, put up one hell of a show with like a huge run. He, like, shed, I think, four tackles on that run. And the dude that he laid out first was Browns player Jermaine Whiteside. Whitehead. Whitehead, yeah. And the dude went crazy on Instagram threatening people with racial slurs and posted his address and said, hey, come fight me right now. Um, so he had a terrible Sunday and an even worse Monday because then he got cut from the Browns team. But um, that's a great textbook way of not to handle criticism online. On top of the Fant play, which caused all of the turmoil, Sutton had an amazing catch where he basically caught the ball around a player for the touchdown. Yeah. Um, like, he's still a young dude, but he definitely um, became that guy's daddy, which, choice. Actually, it was a Denzel Ward, who's a cornerback who the Broncos could have drafted a couple years ago. Um, really proved that we made the right choice in that situation. Also, uh, Philip Lindsay 
had a direct snap to win the game, where instead of just running it with a handoff, they did a direct snap. I've got to say that was Rick Scangarella's best called game on the offense. And if you're Joe Flacco, you just have to be a little furious because they had all of the creativity that they hadn't had for the first seven weeks of the year. Well, I mean, just because Joe Flacco's offense looks super lethargic. And we haven't seen enough from Scangarello yet to say that he's a great offensive coordinator or a bad one, but that offense certainly looked more energized um, with Brandon Allen, who I didn't know existed. Um, and hopefully would love to see him carry the reins for the rest of the year if possible. I know some people want to see Drew Locke, but um, I think you want to see Drew Locke. I, I didn't care about Drew Locke when we drafted him. I was just like, that's a smart pickup in the second round. But I think we've got Broncos talk uh, later. So, yeah. The other thing that happened, which is exactly what I told you wanted to happen, was that Baker Mayfield had an incident, which was what I said before the game. I want Baker Mayfield to have an incident. And he had like four incidences, including three different kinds of facial hair, <laughs> and including a mustache that he wore with a trench coat to his post-game press conference. <laughs> It, it wasn't a blow-up, but he had a 24-hour meme where it was just like a picture of him in a trench coat before the season uh, looking dapper, and then it looked like that he got kicked out of a Burger King bathroom during the post-game conference. Um, yeah. Sorry, dude. It's nice that Denver was able to cause some turmoil for someone else for a change. On Monday night, a cat ran onto the field during Monday night football. Exciting, it yeah. turned the luck, and Dallas somehow won because of it. Cam Newton was put on IR, maybe done with the Carolina Panthers, which will lead to speculation that he will be a Bronco at some point. Yeah, I wouldn't hate that. But, yeah, um, Carolina can save $19 million, um, by letting him go this year. I don't think the Broncos are going to be good for a while on quarterback, so why not? Let's... He's 31, which is the That's one crazy. thing I know. And so, like, he's on the back end of his career now. Can he still run? That's the only question the Broncos need to answer before they make that move. Yeah. Also, on Monday night, the Colorado Buffaloes football team got the top recruit in the country from last year's draft class to come to Boulder. Defensive end Antonio Alfano was on Alabama, left the team, and had a relationship with Mel Tucker when he tried to recruit him at Georgia. He will be a Buffalo either next year or the year after if Nick Saban does not sign his waiver to play next year. That seems exciting because I don't think the Buffs have had a five-year, five-star recruit since um, that running back. Yeah, whose uh, name my I had this conversation with my dad. He texted it to me. Hold on, let me find out. Find I want to say D. Stewart. You think that, but that guy actually played. Oh. <laughs> His name was Daryl Scott. Daryl Scott. Uh, I was close. You were. Um, you were close. Yeah, I mean, that's exciting, but then you have to wonder why a five-star recruit who was with Alabama is no longer a five-star recruit with Alabama. Um, he also apparently has family in Gypsum, Colorado, so that may have something to do with it. That is strange. Um, if you're a listener from Jimson, please give us a call and tell us where the hell that is. <laughs> and then we come to Tuesday night. The Nuggets came alive and beat the Miami Heat decisively. Oh, the first full 
game that the Nuggets have played this season, a quality blowout um, that, of course, the monkey's paw curled a little bit, and Gary Harris left with an ankle injury, and stupid-ass former Blazer Myers Leonard laid a heavy blow to uh, Paul Millsap, who then hit the chin of Justice Winslow, and he got his head cracked open. It was incredible. So many stitches. So many stitches. But uh, like a boss, like the dad that he is, um, he shot his free throws, made them both before he had to exit the game with blood pouring out of his head. Blood pouring out of their head was the only way to describe the abs loss last night. (laughs) They gave up a goal within 20 seconds, challenged the goal, lost the challenge, got a two-minute penalty. Then later in the game, Still down, because they only scored one goal in this game. They lost 3-1. to one. They, The 3-1 to one goal, they challenged again for a broken stick, which it turned out was not challengeable. But the NHL, in all of their wisdom, still gave them the four-minute penalty that you now get for losing two challenges in a night. Whoa. And they lost. They killed all the penalties, but other than that, they looked just atrocious. They've lost five in a row, and we will definitely talk about them later on. Oh, that hurts so bad. And finally... Early this morning, Proposition DD passed in Colorado on election night, which means that we will have legal sports gambling in May of 2020. May of 2020. So right in time to put a bunch of money on a Nuggets championship. Yes, right right in the middle of the playoff run, we can put it in there. And the Rockies. And the Rockies. Early season. We'll be able to still get those World Series bets in. Uh, well, I would say if you're doing heavy betting on the Rockies – at any point, but especially early in the season, that you might want to check online about gambling addiction as well. I feel that's a very niche. Um, or only bet against them. <laughs> or only, uh, that's, that's a smart <laughs> call. Uh, that is the only Rockies talk we're going to have. Um, that was not anywhere close to seven minutes. We did not set a timer. We did everything wrong, but we tried. We, and you know, that's Denver sports in a <laughs> <Yes>. nutshell. <laughs> um. All right. Oh, I forgot the last part of this. Coming up this week, Nuggets, Sixers Friday at Mm. the Pepsi Center. They also play the Timberwolves on Sunday and the Hawks at home on Tuesday. So one win. The Broncos are on a bye. And the Avs play the Predators Thursday, which will be tonight when this podcast gets released. The Blue Jackets at home on Saturday and at the Jets on Tuesday. They're trying to stop their five-game losing streak. And CU Basketball Starts at Arizona State Friday night in Shanghai. Um, I guess that's a neutral site game. Oh, also, we're still doing doing China things. Yeah, uh, still doing that. They beat some Shanghai team who only could list three of their players because they changed their whole roster right before the game <laughs> by close to seventy points. Uh, oh wow! Yeah. So what is it? A college or is it just like nobody really knows? They were just some guys that showed up at the gym, <laughs> and it, that sounds exa- exaggerated, but literally the box score was a number. And then it was unknown player. <laughs> and also the Buffs play at home against Stanford at 1 o'clock on Saturday. So that is 17 minutes in Denver sports. Beautiful. Um, okay, let's move on to other things. I, I'm going to protest that it was 17 minutes. That felt like 13 minutes to me. You might be right. We'll have to see in the editing. Great, great. Um, I'll definitely put in the show notes how long that was <laughs> if you weren't paying attention at home. Um, so the Broncos win. 
They move up to their third win of the season. And the question really is, was it a good thing to win or was it a bad thing to win? Um, Where do you stand on this? I, you know, call me old school. I think it's always good to win games. Um, but especially now this being the kind of third season that I've worked at the stadium with you. Um, I've not been afforded a lot of happy <laughs> moments from the Broncos. And it's really cool when the Broncos win um, at home. So I, from a fan base standpoint, I think that's it, you needed it for morale, but for the team as well. Um, so I think the arguments for them winning are my big concern, which is, if you start developing a losing culture, it's much harder to then regain a winning culture. And so you Case don't want to point the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, exactly. The Cleveland Browns who one of the things about the suspension for them that I didn't understand is they don't care about character clearly with some of the guys they've gotten. And then they're like, well, this is too far. And it was way too far. Like they definitely should have done what they did, but it's like you knew exactly what you were getting and then you're not okay with it. And that's something that a losing culture would have. Well, that's with losing culture. You don't know, like you know the phrase "act like you've been there before." Mm-hmm. When you've never been there before, it's really hard to do so. Um, and that's where, like, you wouldn't have a dude blow up, um, throwing out slurs and very directly threatening people on social media if they go home with a W. Um, yeah, but I think the Broncos are kind of on a slide right now, and that. Almost every team in the division is trending upwards besides them. I think more than the win itself is like the production you got from a Cortland Sutton who is hopefully your future number one receiver in perpetuity. Noah Fant, first round draft pick, and a rookie tight end always is hard to kind of quantify, but um, a big boy who could run that fast, that's a good thing. Um, and then to also see Philip Lindsay who. Um, is always kind of a home run threat, but I actually get to see it happen. Those individual performances that amount to a win, I think are actually more important than the win itself. But uh, The Broncos scored 24 points in the game. They had, um, they had 17 at halftime, which was the third most all year. 24 tied the most points they've scored all year. Yeah. So it was... A very productive offensive game, which was nice to see. Um, I think that the downsides are first draft position, which we'd already talked about. It was almost impossible for them to get a top five pick. Yeah. And that continued. Um, And then Elway's confidence, which is the concern in all of this. Not only the more games that they win, does it make it more likely that Elway gets full control, but also that he thinks he's doing the right thing. I mean... And I don't think he is. Like, just for the record, this team needs to change a lot before they're going to be able to compete for a playoff Well, spot. the um, apprehensive sound that I just made is the fact that I'm like, I, I still don't know how I should feel about John Elway, um, at least as the GM of our team. Uh, I wouldn't vote for John Elway, which I thought that he was going to do. Um, Me too. What else? That would just be a further trip into the, the bizarro world that we do live in but um i don't know like uh i was listening to uh hastings harris and 
Kane Dover Dover Dover, and they they just like compiled a list of all of Elway's draft picks, and seventy percent of them are still in the league in productive roles on whatever team they're on. So I think there's a bit of a narrative that John Elway has been awful at drafting players. I think he's been awful at drafting marquee players, uh, specifically quarterback, and I still, yeah, I have no excitement for Drew Locke. I don't think he just, like, has a basic haircut. He's not tall. Um, And he played for a terrible team in Missouri, so I'm just like, who knows what can come of it. You know who else wasn't tall? Russell Wilson, who the Broncos didn't draft because he wasn't tall. Yeah, but I don't think, like, there's... (laughs) I think there's only very few teams in the league who develop Russell Wilson into the front runner MVP candidate that he is. I hate Pete Carroll's face, but I think he's a great coach. So, yeah, a lot of people would have whiffed on. Uh, a lot of people did whiff on Russell Wilson. Um, Not the Colorado Rockies. No, they, they drafted him. They the were on Rockies, board. I think we've talked about this before. Colorado Rockies are straight shooters when it comes to drafting <laughs> quarterbacks because. Uh, they have Russell Wilson and Michael Vick under their belt, which is so strange. Um, but you know, someone I will fault him for, uh, Lamar Jackson, which if you look at that super quarterback class, he was the last one drafted, I think, last in the first round. And the dude looks like he's changing the game. Um, and doing it in ways that... I mean, it wasn't clear that he was going to be able to develop into a top quarterback, but in those national championship games, he was the best player. Yeah. And that, to me, you always want those guys who rise to the big moments, and he was a guy that rose in the big moments. Well, and that's uh, who was yeah Mitch Trubisky versus uh, Deshaun Watson. Mitch Trubisky played on a below 500 North Carolina team versus Deshaun Watson, who won a national title. Yeah, I really feel like the Broncos have been doing a good job at drafting team captains. Um, but I think winners go a long way, too. That's why Tim Tebow, even though most of his intangibles were terrible, he was a winner, by God. A good, strong-jawed Christian boy. Um, that's what I would like to see moving into the draft. I, as we said, there's too many terrible teams that the Broncos are going to get great drafting position. And there's something to be said for those like seven and nine, eight and eight teams who just stay there because they never are able to draft a true game changer. But I trust, I think I would take a lineman over a quarterback um, in the draft. And they're going to be five or six quarterbacks. Like they're going to have their chance if they need to, at worst, trade into the late first round, which I'm guessing they won't. I'm guessing some of those guys will be there. It'll be more just, can they figure out who they want? Yeah, but it'll be like having to assume that unless he absolutely falls off a cliff, that Brandon Allen will be around next year. <laughs> You're so convinced after one game. I'm not convinced. <laughs> As again, he didn't throw it to an entire side of the field. But... Uh, <laughs> it goes a long way. I think he had like a quarterback rating of like 130 or something. Um, that is, I think he'll, if we were able to give Trevor Simeon a chance, Chad Kelly a chance, uh, Brock Osweiler two chances, that he and Allen will be in the conversation. Then you have 
walk. This is going to be the saddest podcast ever again after that Minnesota game where you're just like, I was wrong. What happened? Play it back. I, yeah, I don't care right or wrong. Play this back to me at some point. I just don't want three young dudes in the uh, quarterback room. So instead of drafting someone, especially in that first or even second round, just get more pieces to make your two maybe quarterbacks look like stronger maybes. Um, and there are a lot of old quarterbacks they can get because <laughs> Andy Dalton's going to be out there. Eli Manning's going to be out there. Cam Newton's going to be out there. Who knows about Tannehill? He seems to be all over the place. Maybe Marcus Matt, Mariota. I would love to give Mariota, Marcus Mariota. Matt Moore. Another. Like, there are a bunch of quarterbacks now. Yeah, dude. Like, John Kitna. I mean, he's not in the league. He hasn't been in the league for 20 years. But John Kitna was a journeyman quarterback, a guy who you never want to be your starter. But if he needs to be your starter, you can make him happen. I'm surprised Ryan Fitzpatrick has never been a Denver Bronco. I would get take a flyer on him next year. Well, I look forward to your Brandon Allen jersey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I still need to get a Plumlee jersey. <laughs> um, the Denver Nuggets. I think the thing about their win against the Heat that was so exciting, even though it was brief because of the injuries you talked about, was seeing the starting five really gel with Will Barton being the spark plug that we hoped he would be when we re-signed him last summer. Sir Thrillium Barton the third. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah, that first like six minutes of the game, the <laughs> starters were moving. The ball was constantly in motion. And I think that set the tone for then when Miami kind of settled down. And they've got some great pieces. They were, I think, 5-1 and one coming into the game. Um, it was a pace that they were not going to be able to keep up with for the rest of the game. And uh, Yes, because then everyone got hurt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. That the Miami wasn't going oh, yeah, to Oh, yeah. Miami wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, and, and especially, I think even more so than seeing Jokic, who has been slumping up and down uh, to start the season, seeing a consistent Jamal Murray, a fully healthy, <laughs> at the time, uh, Gary Harris, playing great shutdown defense, and trying to facilitate little more. At the beginning of the season, he had been racking up a lot of turnovers because he was trying to be a more fluid passer, which is really hard to mm -hmm. kind of transition into. But the team looked solid, looked like the communication and the rhythm was there. Um, and the bench even looks better. Like, I am closer to getting a Mason Plumlee jersey. He has been a solid backup center. If he would have played half as well in the playoffs last year, they would have made the Western Conference Finals. Oh, bro, tell me about it. I mean, the same for Will Barton, who... Yeah, and uh, Beasley and Morris and... All of them, Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, this—they just needed one more guy. Yeah, um, a Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> uh, but yeah, to your point, they looked like a solid team. And last night was a game where it's like, okay, this is a good team. This might even be a great team. And I think the thing—I know people have been really hard on Jokic just through the first six games, or however I think six. But I will say that I'm less worried about Jokic turning it on after what we saw in the playoffs. I think that when the lights get brighter and they have to win, it's clear that he's going to turn up the intensity. It is annoying that he can't just play that way all the time, but unless you are LeBron James or Michael Jordan, how many players have we ever seen that can turn it on every night? Yeah. Honestly, like if you don't need him to, which we didn't, 
Oh, he got in foul trouble very quickly. I think he like racked up three fouls in the first quarter. So he never was able to get in rhythm for one. But he's such a special player in that he's your center who is also your main ball handler and facilitator. And he's just like a supremely weird dude. And I will take all that weirdness given the talent, the known quantity that he is. Like, let him sulk. Let him just be chunky and uninterested at some points in the season. Because, yeah, we do know that he can turn it on. I think because he has a power to never give a shit. And so then he can very easily turn that on even if the stakes are higher. So what we're saying here is leave the MVP to Harden and Westbrook and Giannis, and we'll leave the championships to Joker and company. Um, I don't even know who is. I think LeBron is right now the the. In the first two weeks, the front runner MVP, and it's like we could be the Rockets, who have not looked great at all. Someone said they are the worst defensive team ever. I really think that the other thing that people underestimated about the Rockets was when it was Durant's team and the Thunder, it was easier to have Harden and Westbrook because you knew who was in charge. Yeah, and it's much harder to say who's in charge with Westbrook and Harden. Um, same with the Nuggets. We know who's in charge when he wants to be. It's Jokic. It's harder when we don't know who's in charge. Well, yeah. I mean, it's the opposite problem where you have, like, too many dudes who want to be that dude. And then with the Nuggets, sometimes just no one wants to be that dude. And then, like, randomly Wancho will come off the bench. And then that night, he is that dude. Uh, dude by committee is is going to be more difficult. But in Jokic, we trust. And, I mean, the dude, yeah, I think we said last time, he played, like, 20 more games than he normally would given the playoffs and the World Cup, I ain't tripping over him yet. It's I think it's more important to look at a uh, Jamal Murray who has been consistent early in the season, which every other year so far, he's like had a terrible start to his season. So letting him play within himself, but he's like has higher assist averages, which I care about more than even points or uh, turnovers. It's like, can he be a point guard in the league? I think... So far, he's shown that, yeah, he belongs there. So the Avalanche are having the exact opposite problem. <laughs> um, they've lost five in a row. Rantanen seems no closer to coming back than he was when he originally left. I don't know why, but he's still just week to week. No better. Landis Gog is hurt forever. Like, we don't know. He did have a kid. <laughs> okay. But he had a boot on his leg, so we know that it was a leg injury. Other than that, we don't know. And for some reason, Colin Wilson being out has also really hurt the team because having to bring up their two scratches and then a random guy in from the Eagles, which is basically what they've done, their minor league team, has not translated into a good fourth line. So now they have three lines, and their top line they can't figure out. They put Matt Nieto, who is a fourth line or a third liner on the Avs, um, on the top line with McKinnon last night to disastrous results. Everyone else just doesn't seem to know what they're doing. The defense has been bad. Zadorov just continues to hurt them. None of the other defensive pairings are doing well. Last night, Gerard was responsible for the first goal because he wouldn't get rid of the puck. Um, Makar has sort of not been a factor the last few games. It's just everything, and you're not having... The goalies are have been fine. They're just not stealing games for you, which is the one thing that Avs teams the past have had is the goalie that stole the game. Grubauer stole a couple in those first games when they were winning, but in these five games, he hasn't been able to steal a game for them. 
So, short of trading for Taylor Hall, which I am willing to do for almost anything, <laughs> I would say if you can guarantee he's a free agent at the end of this year, which is why he's up for maybe being traded. If you can guarantee that he'll re-sign a contract and you can afford him, you give up almost anything outside of McKinnon, Landeskog, Rantanen, Gerard, and Makar. That's a lot. <laughs> you if, just named a lot yeah. of people, though. Well, but five <laughs> guys out of everybody and their prospects, I'm saying, would be on the table and draft picks. Is New Jersey in a situation where, like, would they want draft picks or are they in a more win now situation? No, so they were the ones that got the number two pick last year, so they're not oh, very right, good. Right, 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 right. Um, but short of that, which I don't actually think is going to happen, it's just like very desperate thinking. There's probably a lot of dudes sitting in similar podcast setups who are fans of other teams who are like, there's like Predators fans like, let's get Taylor Hall. Yeah, I mean, anyone would take Taylor Hall except the Edmonton Oilers who traded him for no reason. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, another mark against Edmonton. Yeah, we were, we were talking before the podcast. Someone said that Edmonton was the best city in the Rocky Mountains, which anyone that follows hockey at all knows that's not true because everyone thinks Edmonton is terrible. Boo, Edmonton. S- second terrible. worst to Winnipeg in the National Hockey League as far as places. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boom, boom. Shots fired, Edmonton. <laughs> Clap back. If but, I mean, one thing that I saw AJ halfway with DNVR say, which I agree with, is Bednar has not been good, the coach of the Avs, at stopping streaks like this. There have been streaks on every one of his teams where they've just lost a bunch of games in a row. It seems to be his biggest weakness as a coach is how do you stop the bleeding? And they need some sort of stopper. And unfortunately, usually, you'd say McKinnon and anybody else, but right now it's just McKinnon alone, and that doesn't really work. Mm. These teams are too good to let one guy beat them. Has uh, Bednar, he's like, he's a cool coach personality because he's like so aloof sometimes, just in term, terms of interacting with the media, but is he, as we've talked about in previous shows, a leader of men? Like, does he have like the let's rally the troops mentality at all? I don't think he has the let's rally the troops. He's very even keeled, which a lot of times in these long seasons, sometimes like Malone was mad about the game last night, even though they were up 20 points. Like he was just (laughs) furious on the sidelines. Sometimes you don't need that. And that's the thing about Bednar is he's never like that. Um, But he's not that guy. And Mm. I think that one of the things that this team has to figure out is who is that guy in the locker room? And actually I have no idea who it is. Um, Maybe it, especially with Landis Gogkert. And that's like the thing that you miss is Landis Gog is the guy on the bench who's like, come on, guys, like we need to get it together because uh-huh. he was the captain. And without him, it sort of is on the other guys. And the thing about McKinnon is he's sort of like Arenado where he's so focused and so hot all the time that like he's not the guy. Like that's just yeah, not him. Yeah. Uh, which is fine, but now they need that guy. So it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm just hoping that somehow they win some games in the next week, and we're not sitting here on an eight-game losing streak. Well, because if we're at right now is uh bleeding from a head wound, next week would be like suffering septic shock after a gunshot if and they don't win anything. The worst part is Matt Duchesne is coming in with the Nashville Predators, and this first game with the Predators back in the division, we're gonna have to see him a lot. And the Avs already hate the Predators from that playoff series two years ago. Um, So 
just so you know, in the next week, we're going to be releasing a second episode. This is going to be in our Denver Stories series, and it's going to be on the Colorado Avalanche. So look out for that. Until next Thursday, I'm Derek. I'm Quinn. Thanks for joining the Denvers. Yo.